I want to get into the present day situation with uh, China and uh, sure. kind of parallel to the book because uh, I see a problem with a billion people feeding them. <laughs> you noticed that, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Well, Larry Bond is the author of numerous New York Times bestselling thrillers, including Cold Choices, Cauldron, and The Enemy Within. Uh, he previously worked with Jim DeFelice on Larry Bond's first team series, and uh, Larry is a former naval intelligence officer, a warfare analyst, and an anti-submarine technology expert. Um, Larry lives in uh, Springfield, Virginia. Jim DeFelice is uh, the best-selling author of over a dozen fiction and nonfiction books. His solo works include Leopard Kills, Threat Level Black, Brother's Keeper, and he's also the author of the first biography of Omar Bradley, the American architect of victory in Europe during World War II, uh, one of my favorite generals, actually. Um, and Jim lives in New York. This is Greg Grasso, and uh, gentlemen, uh, Jim DeFelice and Larry Bond, how are you guys? I'm great. I am doing just great. Good, good. Well, uh, listen, I want to, um, I want uh, both of you to give your own uh, 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 kind of take on Red Dragon Rising, Blood of War. This is the fourth book in the Red Dragon series. So, Larry, let's start with you. Why don't you give, uh, give us a taste of uh, what this new novel is about, and, uh, and then uh, if you guys want to play off of each other, go for it. Uh, let's, let's start with you, Larry. Well, it's, it's uh, you know, Jim, Jim can correct me where I'm wrong here or can amplify, but uh, it's, it's a what if, and it starts with uh, climate change bringing in massive famine in China, massive uh, changes to the, the watershed, and they're hungry. They've got a lot of hungry people up there, and Vietnam, which was an agricultural region before the climate change, is doing pretty well. And uh, China ends up hatching an evil plot to invade Vietnam as the first step to dominating Asia. And the U.S., although we're not a formal ally of China or of, of uh, Vietnam, says, you know, that's probably not a good idea. And so they're doing their level best to frustrate China's plans. And this fourth book is where we take all the plot lines and all the, the stuff that's been going on through three novels and tie it all up and resolve everything. And it was a lot of fun to write, not only because we got to, to resolve those plot lines, but then we get to type the end, and everybody lives happily ever after except for the bad guys. <laughs> yeah. What did I miss, Jim? <laughs> well, you know, the, the one thing that, uh, that I'd add, actually, is that when we started, um, you know, obviously we're trying to see the future and uh, figure out what's going to happen. Uh, since the books, uh, since the series has started, um, we're going now, I think, into the third year of drought in Yunnan province uh, in southwest China. And so, unfortunately, uh, ho hopefully the book is, you know, remains more fiction than prediction. But, um, you know, they're, they're, uh, some of the things I think that we kind of saw might happen, you know, are coming to pass. That's exactly right, Jeff. I'd forgotten about that. Well, yeah, China has uh, – historically, China has never been our buddies. Um, uh, you know, 
I mean, uh, well, right now they're our rivals. I think is the best way to describe it. There's, we don't want them to be our enemies. We should not yeah. think of China as our enemies, in my opinion. Well, I, I think, we don't want to, especially I, I with think, a billion four hundred million people. <laughs> and I think you know, I, I think and one thing, one thing that you know we we talk about in the book is that China is not necessarily even at the moment of the book, is not looking for a direct confrontation with the U.S. And, in fact, attacks, um, you know, goes into Vietnam precisely because, I, you know, this is my take anyway, is that, you know, this, is, this will be an easy enemy. This is an enemy that we've had in the past. The U.S. is certainly not going to be backing up Vietnam. And so, you know, we'll knock them off. Um, you know, and of course, therein, you know, things start getting complicated, and that gives us that gives us the novel. Um, but one of the, you know, we see it, I think, as a proxy war kind of developing, um, and that's, you know, that's sort of the way that you know superpowers these days seem to confront each other through, you know, through third countries or third parties. Yeah. Well, I I, I completely agree. I mean, where we will most likely run into a conflict with China is when they try to push around one of our allies, the Philippines, which they're trying to do now, yeah. the Philippines, Japan, Taiwan. Which they're trying to do now. And, and, <laughs> yeah, and, and, we, uh, and we have to back them up. That's why Secretary Panetta's announced his pivot, where we're shifting publicly and, and very obviously naval and air force units into the Pacific region. So China understands that if some sort of some sort of confrontation develops, we're prepared to back up our people. Yeah. Well, but what about the relationship that we have with Vietnam currently? You know, since we, I well, I guess my question is, um, I'd say it's problematic. I mean, I think you're getting if that's what you're getting at, Greg. Yeah. Um, you know, because of our history there. Yeah. Uh, and um, you know, and that is one thing, though we you know we address in the book. I mean, yes, the president do. who makes the decision to to go in, it's not, it's anything but an easy decision for him. Um, but you know, you're in a situation, and that's kind of what you know what makes it complicated. The situation in China right now is very complicated because one of the most, I mean, if you look at the popular culture there, there's Americans are held in fairly high esteem in a lot of a lot of places. One of the more popular television shows is even a you know is a show about World War II where Americans are portrayed relatively well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Japanese aren't, but that's a you know that's kind of another story. I think it's a complicated you know, it's a complicated issue and that's that was one of the things I think that attracted both Larry and I to you know, to the story itself. It gave us a lot of room, a lot of elbow room to explore different issues. Absolutely. Well, uh, talk about, um, just briefly, you know, we, we, we understand or we can see the way American politics are going today. We see the, uh, uh, the problem that Obama has with, uh, uh, with these major um, – uh, populations, uh, these major controlling countries. Um, so, so what's what uh, the president? Um, uh, what's different? Uh, how? I, I mean, was this a uh, was this a very uh, um, um, uh, cautious political uh, um, uh, orchestrated uh, uh, 
uh, alliance that that we forged um, because uh, you know. I mean, how did how did you know if 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 Obama can't do certain things now, how is this president in 2014 accomplishing this? I guess. How is well, this the, done diplomatically? Um, I'd I'd say entirely under the table for as as <laughs> as, as long as president the, the the president in the book can arrange it, and, and because of our problematic relationship with Vietnam and, and his personal problematic relationship with Vietnam. Uh, it's been uh, advisors have gone in and and really their role. What would you say? Zeus's role expanded as as the as the conflict developed. Is that a good word for it? Yeah, absolutely. Zeus, you know, Zeus is basically goes over as an aide and then ends up not to give not to give the entire plot away, but you know, he ends up as a as a covert uh, operator. Uh, the the political situation in the books is quite a bit different, I think, than uh, you know than what we see right now in the, in the country. And you know, we weren't, we didn't really get into the politics, but the president is a very aggressive president, and um, a mindful, mindfully aggressive, I guess, would be the would be the right word. And, and Congress is is very pacifist, uh, and the mood of the country is very pacifist in the in the books, I, or at least that's my interpretation. I don't know what Larry thinks. We don't always, we're not always totally, you know, in parallel on these things, which I think makes it uh, interesting. Well, it's, for it's us, it, anyway. <laughs> well, we uh, the mood of the country, I think, is is fairly parallels. I think the real world, which is, you know, we've been in a lot of wars lately. We've done a lot of fighting. We'd really like to not be any for a while and see what it feels like. And we certainly aren't, aren't looking for trouble when when China invades Vietnam, and it's it's always about and goodness, this has come up in history often enough, mm-hmm. where the president looking down the road sees sees a long term threat, and other people are saying, well, it's it's a long term threat, it's not a threat now, so why are we worrying about it? I don't like that analogy. <laughs> I think that have, that has gotten us into trouble so many times in history. You know? Oh yes, come on! But it's it's a classic pattern, Greg. So it that's is. sort of why it was it was easy to use. I mean, the the it would have been I think harder for us to write a novel where the president, you know, sees the threat, alerts Congress. Congress goes, "Yes, we must deal with this." And I mean, the last time Congress voted us into a war immediately was when. The Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor and left it in flames, and that right. was. <laughs> right. We need something. We're not subtle, okay? But e- but yeah, even but even during <laughs> but even before the Japanese even bombed Pearl Harbor, our intelligence knew something was going on. I mean, come on, we. Uh, I'm not laughing at. I'm laughing at the. Uh, uh, the ability of, of some of the people that have been in, in, in uh, high-level decision positions over over time. I mean, I, you know, it, it always blows me away where a common person like me can see trouble, but Congress can't. I mean, oh well, I, it's, it's, and I know, I know, there's a lot going on up on the hill. I know there's a lot that we'll never know. I know there's a lot of backroom stuff going on, but yeah, I don't know. It just it it. It bothers me, but 
I really like the book because the book, to me, to me, is 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 a very plausible scenario. It, it really is. Okay, um, China's been a threat f- since you know we were born. Let's say um, mm-hmm. uh, just but just by the mere population, um, they they've got huge problems ahead of them. They've they've overcome a lot of problems. Uh, I actually know some some guys over there working um, in the environmental aspects and trying to clean up dirty water and, and that kind of thing. But um, they've, got a big, uh, they've got a big problem in that they've got to feed their population. Um, and I just, I just think that this is a plausible uh, threat. Did you, guys, did you guys write it from the very beginning thinking it was plausible or just created this scenario and – yeah, I thought I, I think we did. I mean, yeah. well, I'll speak for myself. I I did. Um, you know, yes, I it it's fun. it's you know, you look, the rule of these military thrillers is always taking a current situation, and you get to tweak one thing. Right. Yeah. And what we tweaked was the global warming, right. which, yeah, thank you know Jim is saying maybe we're not so far off the off the the real world anymore, uh, but that that's been brought up as a as a real national security issue mm-hmm. because you know witness the the famine in china or what if you know and this is this is we can't predict what's going to happen with global warming what if uh water becomes more of a problem in the middle east than it is already right so you have an environmental issue that that transforms into a national security problem right and it's because it can't be predicted you don't know which way you're supposed to be looking so you're not ready for it right right um, you know, this, this, uh, this idea that you came up with, Larry, um, how, how do you guys collaborate? Jim, you're an expert in, uh, uh, military history. Um, you, you've written some great reads, Larry, fiction writer, but you've got some military background. So where's the commonality? Uh, how did you guys strike the marriage? I think um, I'll I'll just say one thing and then shut up. But I, I think somebody I, it may have been Pat Larkin, but I'm not sure. Once said that great collaboration great collaborations occur when both people do 90 percent of the work, mm-hmm. and um, that's definitely true here. And I, I will say that I take credit for putting in all of the errors, and you know, and Larry just you know Larry. Gets the, puts all the good stuff in. Hmm. I, you know, okay. Well, first of all, you know, yeah, I let Jim do all the heavy lifting. I mean, it's a no, no. I, <laughs> Pat, Pat is most was my co-author on my first five books, mm-hmm. and uh, I did. I, have you and Pat been talking, Jim? I didn't know you two corresponded. I, I no, I think that uh, I, I think I heard Pat say that one time, and it really kind of stuck in my hmm. stuck in my. Uh, well, yeah, I, I I always thought that was a good quote by Pat myself. It's you know collaborations like marriage, mm-hmm. you know sometimes you will disagree, and what you've got to do is there's a line you do not cross because you've got to you, you know the book is more important than the individual contributions, yeah. and so it's always about making the the story as good as possible. There are parts in the book where where you know Jim just just runs wild and I just stand back and watch in awe, and there are parts where where. For instance, there's a couple of naval battles in, in Blood of War where Jim and I sat down and very carefully choreographed it out. 
based on what my knowledge of, of Chinese and U.S. naval weapon systems. And, I mean, we actually called in some other people, too, to, right. to help us make sure that it all choreographed properly. Yeah, again, not to give, I mean, we don't want to give that one scene away, but um, there's one scene that I know we worked over and over and over to make sure that it was absolutely as that. You know, obviously it's fiction, so, you know, so you have to take a certain, you know, you're taking a certain kind of thread through it, but uh, but it plays out exactly as as close to real life as we could possibly make it. And And that works not only because it's, it's, easier to, to use the real-world stuff than make up stuff. Mm-hmm. But because, I, I don't know, Jim, I felt like when we were trying to solve that problem, that you know, there, were, there were tactical problems that, that the U.S. had and tactical problems that the Chinese had, and it made, us easier, it made it easier to get inside their heads and understand what the characters were doing. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. And I think in that, in that battle, and you know, I guess we don't want to give it because it occurs kind of late in the in the book. We don't want to give too much away, but I think that you really understand uh, Silas, the the, the um, destroyer commander, uh, through that, and I think it liberated, in, in a weird way, the facts kind of liberated us to to focus on his personality, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, well, the technical stuff is always critical and always important, but for me, you know, the books you know, the emotional side, you know, who these people really are is what kind of keeps me going. I mean, in some ways, and I know Larry will roll his eyes at this. I can practically see him rolling his eyes at this. But for me, the last book is kind of a love story in a lot of ways. Okay, roll your eyes. Go ahead, Larry. You're... Well, it's, it's, there is a love story in it, and, and I don't know. It's, I, I, I have problems writing love stories, and, and the problem is I can write a scene with an F-6, a guy fighting in an F-16, and you're going to basically take it on faith because, you know, you've never been in an F-16 probably, so you can sort of – but, you know, if I write a love story, you know, everybody's got romantic experiences, and I have to somehow connect with all those different backgrounds. It's, like, really hard. That's too especially hard. Especially since most of my relations with females have involved restraining orders. So, <laughs> careful, you're going get to uh, get in trouble with your wife here. So you just, you're just oh, listen, though, very My wife's with. greatest virtue is her lack of taste in men. It's, 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 it's the beard, Larry. <laughs> it's the beard and mustache. <laughs> Jeez, Louise. Well, you know, I I um I interviewed Steve Barry and uh, Ridley Pearson l- last year. They've they've got a uh, uh, a youth uh, YA uh, series, uh, Peter and the Starcatcher, and what I found interesting was that uh, both those guys, um, uh, you know, have pretty good sense of humor. They've got you know kind of stable family lives. Um, they're both about the same age. Um, so where's the attraction? Is it Larry, is it knowledge that Jim has? Uh, Jim, is it the creative approach that Larry has? Where's the where is the chemistry? You guys are probably same age range. Um, uh, well, I'm, I'm well, Larry on the high side of sixty Larry years older is. than I am. So. <laughs> yeah. So. All right. Well, yes, a ten yes, year I, I, a ten year spread would be fine. Um, <laughs> so uh, how? Uh, so what? And Larry's Larry, only twenty one. So, <laughs> <you know, still laughs> Larry, what, why Jim and Jim, why Larry? Well, I'll go first, and I, won't, I just won't take any credit for it at all. No, take I mean, credit. Take credit. Well, I mean, 
Marty Greenberg, uh, a good friend of ours who is involved and has in, worked with so many different writers mm. and who passed away not that long ago, unfortunately, mm. uh, was uh, the guy who got us together. Mm. And, and Jim and I just hit it off immediately. It was, it was clear that we could work together and and the collaboration was successful immediately and you know i i'm one of the few guys who probably collaborates almost with all my stuff i've worked with pat larkin was jim mentioned there's another fellow named chris carlson that i'm doing the jerry mitchell series with so i i like collaborations because there's somebody to, to talk to when you got a problem there's somebody to you know go eek with you when you're late uh... <laughs> It's it's uh, writing is a very solitary business, and I guess I'm not that solitary a person that I'm willing to just sit there in my 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 drafty garret typing away with without some sort of human interaction in the process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'm I like agree with all that. Yeah, <laughs> um, but the one th- the the other thing I, I think that is the good thing about well working with Larry. First of all, I have to say, if you ever had the most trivial question about any weapon in the world, any weapon system in the world, if Larry, if you can stump Larry Bond, believe me, you really have, have kind of, it's like, yeah, it's like talking to an encyclopedia, the guy just knows his stuff, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and, um, but the, the thing, the great thing about Larry, and probably about all um, great collaborations, I'm not, uh, I don't know what I bring, but Larry certainly gets me out of my, um, you know, comfort zone, uh, it's, you know, you always feel. I feel like I got to run a little bit faster to keep up with them, mm-hmm. and that's a well. Good it's feeling. funny, Jim. I, I could say the same thing. I mean, certainly, we, we've learned from each other's styles. I've learned a lot from working with Jim and doing things that I would have never thought to do with characters or plot lines. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. So, okay. Okay. Well, that that's great. I mean, that makes sense, and that that works for me. Um, what what um, how does this how does this collaborate? Okay, well, let me get back to this. Jim, you live in New York. Larry, you're in Virginia. Um, Larry, you like a lot of other authors. Um, uh, well, like David Baldacci lives in in the uh, uh, Washington, Virginia area. Um, he uh, I think his office is adjacent to uh, Homeland Security. In Arlington, I think. But anyway, um, Baldacci uh, gets a lot of his um, ideas, insight, uh, profiles from, let's say, uh, uh, some of these uh, agencies, uh, some of them clandestine agencies. Larry, you live in Virginia. You're near where all this is going on. Do you have sources? I mean, you've got to have sources. You've got to have friends you've got to hang out with certain individuals is this where you get a lot of your meat i've got what i've gotten over the years is i built up a, a network of, of friends and people i mean i was in the navy so i have a lot of my my, my friends who have stayed in the navy and did well or right. or have left the navy and but are still involved in defense mm-hmm. and other people i met you can't throw a, and also you can't throw a rock around here without hitting a writer <laughs> or a uh right. or uh <laughs> I mean, it's it's amazing, yeah. but uh, I mean I'm in Virginia because I used to live in Minnesota, and it's much warmer in Virginia. That's, that's, <laughs> that, I didn't move down here for the information sources. I moved here because I I don't like freezing, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, yeah, 
I, in addition to the, the, the writing, I also do a lot of wargaming and developing historical games. And that's tied me into a different set yeah. of people, historians and researchers, and it's really helped me because, you know, Jim thinks I've got it all at my fingertips. What what happens is Jim calls me up and, and you know, I say, I'll get back to you. And then I call somebody that I know, and he says, in, oh, you need to talk to so-and-so. He's panic. been studying that for 37 years, and I call him up. So it's it's... It really is who you know, and and getting that information is 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 fun. It's a try. It's a, it's a, like a little bit of a mini detective story. Yeah, tracking yeah. down all this. Stuff. It it does sound like a kick, boy, especially with the wealth of information and sources that that's available there. Jim, what about you? Uh, where's, where's yeah? I guess uh, yeah. I pick on my friends. I guess I pick on my friends as well. Mm-hmm. I, I've been <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I've been privileged to work, you know, with with a lot of different people. Um, not just in collaborations, but uh, in doing historic, some of the historical stuff that I've done and make a lot of uh, friendships. Mm-hmm. And frankly, you know, it does get lonely sitting in, you know, sitting in an office all day. And, you know, if you have an excuse to call somebody up and say, hey, you know, what would, what would happen if, or could you run me through such and such, or mm-hmm. would you mind if I... <laughs> Would you mind if I came out to your ranch and took a few shots, or right. you know what, whatever? Because I'm not familiar with it, you know what the feel of a Thompson was, uh, but you know, so I guess it's kind of an excuse. It's the you know being a writer is kind of a built-in excuse to uh, to talk to people, and that's that's great. Crazy. Do you um, do your families get along with each other? Um, do you do you guys? Uh, you... We don't let them meet. I you mean, don't... God. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine my, uh, you know, our wives, talk, you know, talking to each other, comparing notes? I'm not that's not happening. No, it's not <laughs> happening. <laughs> oh man. Well, Jim, Jim, where did you start out? Um, give give me give me thirty seconds on where you started out and how you got into this business. Um, I was, uh, I worked my way through college by I, uh, by working. I, was working for a bunch of newspapers and radio stations and uh, mm. kind of fell into newspapers for a while. Uh, and one day I decided, well, this is great, but I really said I was always going to write a novel. Mm. And so I quit mm. and wrote uh, a fantastic novel. Unfortunately, I'm the only one that thinks it was fantastic, but uh, <laughs> I, I hung in there, wrote a second book, and uh, you know, since then I've been writing ever since. It's it beats uh, it beats uh, working it beats doing uh, sheetrock or working a jackhammer, which are among the many jobs that I've had. And if you ever saw how tall I am, you'd say, "Oh yeah, I can't believe you'd work a jackhammer." So that's why I prefer writing. Well, I I know about jackhammers. I grew up in a construction company. My dad was an architect in the. Uh, 40s and 50s so uh, I can well, relate to that. Well, you know, on the other hand, you know, there's n- nothing nothing like working a chainsaw, I'll tell you. I still do that for recreation. <laughs> Jeez. Larry, how did you start out? Uh, dumb luck heavy on the dumb. Heavy I mean, I was I was in the Navy and I was working at a place called Center for Naval Analyses which was a Navy think tank they sent me to when they saw me doing wargaming. I said, oh, we got a place for you. Mm. And this is where they, they will ask you a question like, uh, how many carriers do we need in 20 years? Show your work. <laughs> Words, you know, really, really, you know, big word problems. Remember the word problems in math class? You haven't. And mm-hmm. so I was doing a lot of 
writing, technical nonfiction writing, and mm-hmm. I wrote a war game called Harpoon, yep. all about modern naval warfare. Yep. And an insurance agent in rural Maryland bought it mm-hmm. and used it as one of the many information sources he was using to write a book called The Hunt for Red October. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, Tom Clancy, boom, amazing success. Um, he gave me a nice little gong in the front because I had helped him with some of the naval terminology. Mm-hmm. And then I was blathering about another war game I was working on, and he said, you know, you could turn that into a book. Mm-hmm. Really? <laughs> I mean, so we sat down and plotted that one out together, and I was, I was his apprentice, basically, mm-hmm. and, and learned the trade. And not only did I, you know, get to, to learn at the feet of the master, but at the same time, I inherited his agent. <laughs> so when my first proposal for a book went in, you know, Jim, my hat's off to you. I had not heard that history before. And, you know, to keep on slogging after having one shot down is, is uh, I mean, my first novel proposal was bid on by all the major houses and I, I they had to give me oxygen when i found that when i found that out <laughs> and i've just been peddling like crazy ever since hmm. Hmm. you know it's 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 a well, I, I look both ways before i cross the street and i do not play the lottery because i've used <laughs> up all my good luck in one shot <laughs> jesus oh man folks i want to uh, i want to thank larry bond and i want to thank jim DeFelice. you guys you guys pull it off well, thank you. No, really. Thank you. I mean, uh, uh, Red Dragon Rising, a great series. Oh, this is a hoot. It's a hoot for me, too.